Hi, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. That's what BTS stands for. It's behind the scenes, not the K-pop band. Sorry to disappoint you. If you came for K-pop news, uh, keep listening. You might like it. It'd be great. It helped me out. Anyhow, this episode is with Evie Smith of Rebellious PR. We met through PR she was doing for Stern Pinball around San Diego Comic-Con and hit it off immediately. And I'd been looking for more small and medium-sized business owners, especially in the agency landscape, to have on the podcast. And so I asked her to be on, and she agreed. And I'm so glad that she did. It was really great to hear her story and get to know her. We cover so much. We cover uh, managing a job while you're getting a divorce and coming out, which are two pretty major things, and what it was like for her being out and then being in fairly conservative agency environments. And then we also talk about level setting with clients, business development, navigating hiring and firing, working with friends, and how she does what she does. I really enjoyed speaking to her Rebellious PR is based out of Portland. We talk a lot about what they do. They do really great work. And I encourage you to explore their offerings if you are looking for a PR firm. Before I jump into our conversation, I do want to say I would greatly, greatly appreciate your support. There is low sort of effort ways that you can support. And then there's higher effort ways, whatever. I don't know. I guess it depends on what is high and low effort to you. A quick and easy way to support is to share this. Uh, Tag BTS at the podcast when you share it. Tell people what you liked. You can also just send over some money. Never, never hurt. If you go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast, you can become a monthly contributor or a one-time supporter. Either one is great. Shout out to Camillo for being our one and only supporter right now. It'd be great to have more than one. If none of those sound appealing to you, I mean, hopefully it doesn't sound so wildly unappealing to share this episode or another episode you enjoy on your LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, I encourage you to use the promo codes that I plug for the services that I love. I'm a huge fan of grocery delivery with Instacart. You can use LCOOK5142 to save on your first delivery. I also love getting a massage with Soothe. You can use LZ, LRZ to save on your first booking. They do couples massages. You can choose if you would like a man or woman massage therapist. They also do prenatal. I prefer deep tissue. They do sport massage. They're great. And last but not least, you can save on your next hotel stay with Hotel Tonight. If you sign up now and use LCOOK61 when you go to book someday, you will save on that first booking. And then I will save on my future bookings and it's super appreciated. I try to remember to also just share stuff that I love because I think that sharing is caring and two podcasts that have really pulled at my heartstrings and affected a lot of the conversations that I have had recently are the series, both the Finding Fred series with Carvel Wallace, as well as the Dolly Parton's America. They are both beautiful and really thoughtful conversations. Finding Fred is around the impact of Mr. Rogers and it's beautiful. W. Kamau Bell is a guest who I love, as well as a few other people who I have a huge amount of respect for. Give those a listen. They're lovely. I think they're only like nine to 12 episodes each. And they're just really, really great for humanity, in my opinion. If you're looking for an improved way to listen to a podcast, this is not a paid plug. This is just, I love Breaker. 
I'm a big fan. I make playlists that are specific to things that I care about. One is around customer experience because I do con some consulting around that. There's also a strategy specific playlist if that is your realm, which if you're listening to this episode, it may be. And then there's just stuff like women podcasters and episodes around mental health. So download Breaker, see if you like it. In addition to the playlist feature, I also love that they have a variety of playback speeds and the ability to skip silences. Give it a shot. I hope you like it. Please do follow this podcast at, at BTS the podcast across social platforms. There's also a Facebook group where you can submit questions for upcoming guests. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome to BTS podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am in Portland today with Evie Smith of Rebellious PR. Hi, Evie. Hi. Thanks so much for coming to my office. Happily. It's lovely. Um, it looks like a, what is that thing, like sponge design or whatever? That, oh, thank it's you like, so much. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> I just really love millennial pink and then any kind of plant I can stick in here. Well, with good reason. Yes. <laughs> Those are both very fine things to be attracted to. Yeah. Uh, so Evie and I met because when you are doing Comic-Con as mm -hmm. press, you get a ton of uh, press releases. <laughs> and she sent one that I was very interested in with Stern Pinball, which is one of her clients with Rebellious. And then when we met at Comic-Con, I thought she was a great person. And like she and her coworker and I just sort of like chatted and were being, you know, like very, I don't know, just fun. And I've been wanting to have somebody on who runs an agency for some time. And it's very important to me in like picking out guests that also they have pretty deep experience in that. And so Rebellious PR has been around for 10 years. Well. No, am I wrong? I'm sorry. <laughs> Rebellious PR has been around for three and a half years. Okay. But I've been doing PR since 2007. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. So deep experience in a, PR. And I've only ever worked at PR agencies. Okay. So wait, let's back up a little bit then. What was the sort of like pivotal moment for you in leaving other people's agencies and doing your agency? Whew. Um, I'm like, buckle up. <laughs> um, I really hated uh, the work I was doing. <clears throat> I hated the people I worked for. I, I had left an agency I worked at for over eight years in Santa Cruz. And, you know, it, w it was just kind of interesting because I feel like there was this moment in my life in my um, early 30s, like 32, 33, 34, somewhere, somewhere around there where I, there's all this stuff kind of happening in your life where it's like, you have things that you should be happy with. I had this job I should be happy with. I had this husband I should be happy with. And the fact of the truth of the matter was I wasn't happy. Um, I wasn't happy in my marriage because of my sexuality, which I'm sure we'll dive into later. Um, and then after that, you know, I kind of blew up my life in that regard with my marriage. The kind of the next thing to go is my job. Um, I had been working at this agency since I was uh, straight out of college. Literally the day after I graduated oh, wow. college, I started working at this agency. It was kind of perfect for my lifestyle because it was in Santa Cruz, which is where I lived. They worked with clients in Silicon Valley. I didn't have to commute. Um, and, um, it just was like, you know, like it was, it was perfect. I loved living in Santa Cruz. Yeah. And, um, there kind of just became this point where all of the senior staff above me gradually year after year kind of left. And I was kind of all this guy had left and then like a bunch of junior staff and me and my old boss, like there were 
you know, it's kind of like a Don Draper, Peggy Olson relationship where there was like this true mentorship, but then there was kind of this like little bit of a, um, like he resented me, I think a little bit and Mm. it wasn't always a healthy relationship. And I don't want to like totally talk shit on the guy because he taught me a lot, but then I think that there was some like underlying, um, sexism. And I just, I kind of felt like he was never going to see me more than like the girl that was kind of fumbling right after college. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so at a certain point I was just like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And I I started just kind of having these realizations, like for the last couple years that I worked there, where I, where I was like, I think I can do this better. I, I like, my gut is saying one thing, we're doing another thing. And that thing is clearly wrong. Um, and then I just felt like there was some like ethical decisions that were being made that weren't necessarily specific to that agency, but just in, in Silicon Valley in general, where just like agencies will do anything for money. Yes. Um, and I hated that. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and so like my background, like my, my mom is just like awesome, crazy feminist liberal. And I just grew up with all these like kind of a really clear sense of what's wrong, what's right, what's equality, what's feminism. And it just working in Silicon Valley during the recession and then out of the recession into kind of this big boom and just like all of this money was everywhere. And it, it just, I just felt like I didn't agree with a lot of the decisions and like I couldn't really sleep at night. Um, I met my partner who I'm with now Um you know, towards the, that eight year mark. And she lives, lives, lived in Portland. Mm -hmm. And so I knew I wanted to move up here and I was interviewing at two different agencies and I opted to go with one over the other and like kind of still regret that decision, but then I wouldn't be where I am now. Um, these people were kind of the worst people. (laughs) So it was kind of like everything I disliked about my Santa Cruz agency, but like amplified. Oh God. Um, and I just felt like there was so much, again, ethical things that I just didn't agree with. I actually had a vice president there tell me as I was going to go to a meeting in Houston with a um, CEO to make sure not to mention my private life. And I was like, wow. I mean, and at that point I was very like androgynous presenting. um, And I was just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Did this person just tell me not to tell some people I'm gay? Because people know I'm gay just by looking at me. So it was, it, it just at that point, I think like I kind of stopped giving a fuck about that job. And then, um, you know, I really felt like I needed this break and the universe delivers in all sorts of weird fucked up ways sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, playing roller derby, um, at the local league here. And, um, it was like the night of like travel team tryouts. And it was the first year I lived here and the Portland team is like number one in the world. And so, I thought I was going to have like this great opportunity to get onto this travel team. I was like the new shiny thing that in the league. And then I got, I got my body just demolished. Essentially. I got hit really, really hard and an old knee injury, um, where I'd had, um, ACL reconstruction surgery, it popped, but then that wasn't it. (laughs) Oh no, there's more. Um, I actually, um, like, actually broke a bone in my knee where Uh they had to go in really quickly to um, reattach like a big bone chip that had broken out. So I was going to have to have two knee surgeries and um, 
<laughs> like, oh my God, reliving this. I was going to have to have two knee surgeries and I was going to have to go on disability. They were like really inflexible. This agency was really inflexible with me about the time off I was going to need, even though I'd already had knee surgery in the past. And it was like, here's the realities of knee surgery. Do you want me working in the office on Vicodin? Like your, the choice is yours. <laughs> right. Or do you want to give me like a few extra we weeks to recuperate and then um, I can work from home for a little bit and then come back to the office. And also, I'm sorry, but if your company is set up in a way that one person's absence is really that big of a deal, perhaps like reconsider your company structure and mm -hmm. that you're putting too much on one person. Like that is insane to me. It was like so. And even I mean, obviously, there's the human element also. Yeah. But even if you're clearly lacking that humanity, which it sounds like those people may have been. Yeah. From a business perspective, it's like, oh, what if she quits? Then what are we gonna do? Like, why would you not think that way? That like you being out for a month, two months, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that's that's just how my brain works. Is like, oh, if it's that scary to have her out for two months. Yes. We better like figure something else out. Well, so when I had knee surgery back in 2009, when I was working at the agency in Santa Cruz, it was a big deal and I could see why. Like he was nervous about me being out for two weeks because we were a tiny agency. Right, exactly. We were like 10 people. Yeah. You know, like if one of my staff members now was having knee surgery, it would be like, ah, like we'll figure it out. But like that, we're going right. to feel that impact. Because a baby you can plan for. Maternity and paternity leave, you can go, oh, we know that's around the corner. Yes. <laughs> a knee surgery is not usually that like, oh, in seven months, I'm going to need a knee surgery. Exactly. But so um, this company was like, I think that they had, I can't remember if it was 100 employees or 200 employees. And so, and then we had a handful in the Portland office. But um, yeah, I mean, this story, like I've told it a few different ways, depending on how I'm, who I'm talking, but I will give you the 100% truth is they fired me. Wow. Yeah. So I I logged onto my my work computer the day um, I was supposed to like start working from home, and they fired me. They locked me out of everything. They gave me some bogus reason why they were firing me, and um, I just was like, "Wow, you really are the worst people." <laughs> yeah. Um. And you know, for me, like I I knew I didn't want to be there, so I was already interviewing for jobs, and mm -hmm. I actually had a pretty sweet gig at Nike that was mm -hmm. kind of starting to line up. So like. I was disappointed because I don't like failing at anything. Of course. And I also, you know, after going from being at an agency for eight years, like I'm not somebody who like works at a job for nine months and then is like time to move to the next job. Right. You know, that's definitely not my style. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. And so I was laying in bed <laughs> and, you know, like kind of weeks go by and I'm trying to figure my life out and kind of waiting to see if this Nike thing's going to pan out. And I, I kind of start to get the green light from them. And, you know, from Portland to going out to Nike and Beaverton, like that's not like the easiest commute in the world. And I had like, it was my right leg that I'd injured. And so the idea of having to sit and commute. And then um, I was also interviewing for, it was like not the most like glamorous position. It was definitely like doing corporate communications for um, like finance. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, even the one of the people who interviewed me was like, are you sure? <laughs> He's like, I think you'll do great, but like, this doesn't seem like a good fit for you. And so what ended up happening was an old colleague of mine from the agency in Santa Cruz, like somebody who'd worked there for a couple of years and kind of left and came freelance. She'd been working freelance for a number of years and was about to go in-house somewhere. Mm -hmm. And she's like, hey, 
this sucks for you. I see this situation, it's super shitty. I have a couple business leads. If you want them, I'll give you copies of my contract. I will get you set up. But I think this is something you should consider, especially for the situation you're in. For me, working freelance always seemed like I was too lazy. Like I like the idea of having to sing for my dinner just seemed like a lot of work. <laughs> so I was just like, I don't know, but like, okay, let me let me talk to these people and see how it goes. And then all of a sudden I was really good at biz dev, which is one of these things I really struggled with at the other agencies really? I was with because I think I just had a hard time selling people on something I didn't agree with. Agreed. That is very difficult for me too. Because also when you're doing it at another agency and you know that eventually it'll be in someone else's hands, mm -hmm. it is scary versus when you know it's in your own hands. It's just you, there's more trust there. Yeah, and I just feel like this thing happens when you're doing biz dev at other agencies where they just like, they bring in these huge teams, they do this whole dog and pony show, they bring in all these senior people, which none of those people will be on the account in like three right. months. Totally. And it just feels like, like a whole pack of lies to me. Yeah. Um, and I just like... I just don't think I ever truly loved where I worked enough to be like, I'm going to tell you why this thing's so great and why you should work with us. Mm -hmm. And so the second I started freelancing, I was just like, I'm really cool. I really believe in your product. I'm going to give you this awesome treatment. I have all of these years of experience. Let's, let's try it out. Mm -hmm. And BizDev became very easy for me. Yeah. And within about four months, I was paying my bills again. Mm -hmm. um, I was like living, you know... I, I wasn't quite making Silicon Valley money, right? But I was making enough money to pay my bills um, and, um, you know, get ready for my second surgery that I had to have. Yeah. So it just that's kind of how it started. And then within like the end of the first year, my non compete from my original agency was up, and I went and I grabbed Stern Pinball from them. Very cool. Because that was my account that I'd worked on for like six years with that agency, and they were they were kind of like family to me. Um, mm -hmm. I think that was one thing that my former boss in Santa Cruz kind of undervalued is that there was something really special about the Stern team and me. And some of that is kind of like a cultural thing, which I've never really experienced is mm -hmm. that they're Jewish. Oh yeah. And I'm Jewish. And there's this, and my family's like East coast Jewish. And there mm -hmm. was this sort of respect that as soon as they discovered that about me, that I was like kind of let in. Right. And so I knew that if I went and I pitched them when my non-compete was up, they would come come to me. It was like, there was like no question in my mind. Right. So, um, you know, my non-compete was up. We made arrangements. I came, I went to Chicago. I pitched them. They basically signed on the spot. Um, and then that for me was like a total change for the agency. At that point, I had to start hiring people. And I was no longer, I think that was the moment I went from being a freelancer to having a PR agency. Yeah, that's amazing. So who was your first, like what was your first hire in terms of roles and responsibilities? So <laughs> I have made so many mistakes. Um, <laughs> that's why, because this is really elaborate. This is totally, that question is totally a leading question to, yeah. for me to go like, what are some of your big lessons? Because in preparing for this, I was thinking a lot about, you know, as a business grows, how your personal role changes. Yes. And then also it becomes... So difficult, I think, for business owners, and understandably so, because I think um, when we read about, like, quote-unquote business owners, we forget that, like, business owners are also people. Yeah. That, like, when you hire somebody, and it's just the two of you, they're, like, your friend, and it's hard to have that line, and over time, there has to be a certain degree of, like, 
layers that develop where you're like, yes, we get along. Yes, I think you're great. I care about you. But you you don't want to fall apart every time someone leaves or have to weirdly deliver the news (laughs) that like performance evaluations, like, hey, you're, I love you as a person. You're not doing that great. So like, I guess moreover, like what are some of those big lessons for you that you've Yeah, I mean, like I've always... I've never been, when it comes to management, I'm a really good manager, but I'm also not super professional. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like there's certain boundaries that I don't cross, but I'm like very, I'm a very casual person. I don't fit into a corporate structure very well. Mm -hmm. Um, What has worked well for me pre-Rebellious is like, you know, like hiring people I don't know. Um, I'm like excellent at hiring. Um, And... um, I'm really good at managing and kind of figuring out like, how does this person need to be managed? Does this person need to be micromanaged? Does this person need a lot of space? What's the deal? But once I started Rebellious, like the first position I wanted, it kind of, I wanted an assistant Mm -hmm. because I just needed somebody to free up some time for me and some stress so I could just do the work. Because the thing, (laughs) the thing that happens when you go from working at like a big agency to freelancing essentially is there's no intern to get the coverage for you. Right. Um, there's no like account assistant to um, make press lists for you. There's yeah. no account manager to report into you. And there's no one to invoice other than you. Like, yes. you have to be doing all of those things. <laughs> Literally all of the things. And like, luckily for me, you know, like I started as an intern in PR. And so I like, I, ha- I knew the kind of, I had the muscle memory of like how, like what things, what are the deliverables that need to happen every week? Right. That kind of stuff. And it was easy to do when I had like three little clients. I was like, okay, I can handle this. But then having, you know, however many clients we had at that time, I was like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm, for- yeah. I'm forgetting things. I can't remember things. And so I hired a friend Um, Somebody who had just moved to town who was close to me and my partner who had experience doing um, production, not necessarily PR, but like had been a um, an assistant producer on a lot of things. He's super great. And then that kind of turned into him being like an account manager Um, And then, you know, we kind of talked about him becoming like a creative director and maybe starting like a um, more creative production arm of Rebellious. Mm-hmm. Fact of the matter is, is PR is really hard and it's not for everybody. Yeah. And because we were friends, there was just like a lot of like murky stuff that, you know, it was hard for me to give him any kind of feedback. Um, and it just, it took a lot of energy from yeah. me to just figure out how to work within that relationship. Right. And then like, I just decided to kind of keep making that same mistake for the next year. So he was there and he worked for me for a solid year and I like love him to death still to this day. Um, and he left because he was like, I don't really like working with clients. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> really? Which to me is like the most fun part. Yeah. I mean, like I get it. And I mean, it's funny because saying that now at that time last year and then thinking about the year we've had and like the, I shouldn't say crazy people, but some of the some of the tenser conversations we've been in and bigger personalities we work with now, Mm -hmm. um, it is really like interesting to me to be, to like reflect on that. Right. Um, Because I'm like, oh man, that year was a, that was an easy year. (laughs) Right. Where where it's also like, I would always rather people know themselves and go, hey, this isn't working for me. Yeah, exactly. Because in that agency client relationship, the last thing you want is someone interfacing with clients Mm -hmm. who is not passionate about it. 
Because I've seen people just maintain that to, like, still have a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way that that relationship sours so quickly is such a poor reflection on the rest of the team who's doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, it, yeah, and it ends up being really uncomfortable for the account manager who doesn't... And there's nothing that I loathe more in an agency environment than the, like than a culture that accepts, like, shit-talking a client. Yeah. I mean, we have moments, like, I wouldn't say we have a culture where we shit-talk clients, but, like, we do have moments where we keep it pretty real. Of course. And we talk about things that are fair or not fair. Or, like, I try to, and this, again, is kind of, like, me being more casual than, like, a stereotypical boss who maybe went to business school or, you know, worked in a more traditional agency environment, is that, like, I kind of tell the employees like what my plans are for clients. So right. if we have a client that maybe I don't know, I'm trying to like think of a very vague example so it's not too close to anything that's happening. But uh, you know, maybe somebody who is supposed to kickstart a product really soon and we haven't seen the product and we haven't seen the product and we haven't seen the product, like I'll tell them, I'm like, look, if if we don't even see something by a certain date we're probably not going to work with them very much longer because like I consider our agency reputation to be super important. I want them to consider that that it's really important. Totally. And I think setting a plan and expectations for like, you know, boundaries and respecting time Mm -hmm. and airing grievances and frustrations are a very different thing than talking shit on clients. Yeah. yeah, Because I think, I mean, I was having a conversation with a close friend about just uh, relationship arguments. Yeah. And what happens when you go to air a grievance in a relationship and you're met with, like, well, you explained that to me the wrong way and da-da-da-da. It's like, oh, okay, well, then please, like, give me the setup for how you would like my grievance. Like, what's an appropriate way for me to share bad news with you? Yeah, like, yeah, it is yeah. important that we're able to say mm-hmm. things that aren't negative as long as they're actionable. Yes. But it's just, like, the when people start acting like the client is always wrong. I'm like, you may as well just like end that relationship right now yeah. because no, it's, it is not healthy for anybody. It's super true. It's super true. I think for me, like the biggest thing that I'm trying to instill here um, is like transparency and that if I share my thoughts and, and transparent with my staff, that they will do the same with me. Totally. Um, because I think Again, this job is hard. This is a really hard job. And it's very emotional. Like PR is very, because it's communication and Mm -hmm. we all have so many different communication styles and like, you know, love languages, so to speak, or whatever. Yes. And I think a lot of business owners who are not marketing savvy see PR and marketing as sort of like um, the way I see accounting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, where it's something you don't really want to do. You don't really understand it. But you know it's like a necessary sort of like thing that needs to happen. And so there does become this um, feeling of like whoever's managing the agency is constantly in fear of having to justify that budget spend. Yeah. Um, if the larger organization doesn't see value in it. Mm-hmm. And so that can become a very tricky thing. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> so in doing all of that, you now, how many people are there? Uh, we have um, four full-time employees and then I'm the fifth. Awesome. Um, and sometimes we have an intern. Um, sometimes we don't. We don't have one right now. It's summer. We're probably going to be putting feelers out to colleges here pretty soon. Nice. Yeah. What have you learned about cash flow as an agency? Since Ooh, it's good to have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so... 
I'm a really good publicist, mm-hmm. but I've had to learn how to run a company. Yes. Um, and I, when I first started and things were like a little less, uh, when things were more small scale, I had one employee, you know, making payroll, getting some basic paperwork done, that was fine. Having people on payroll in two states, um, you know, where our payroll is like, you know, ten around $10,000 every couple of weeks and making sure that that money is available, that's pretty stressful. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, I think it's important to put as much shit on a credit card and just pay that down every month and keep your cash free for payroll. Totally. That's like, that's like my best advice to give anybody. And that's like the one thing that we've learned. Um, I was lucky enough to get accepted into this startup accelerator program last year. So Mm -hmm. I finished it in May or June of this year. Which program was it? It's called Accelerate. Okay. With two X's. That are supposed to be chromosomes, which I told them was transphobic. <laughs> and I hope that we work on that, <laughs> that there needs to be some deep outreach into to get some awesome trans women in the program. But um, that's, yeah, that is, yeah, it's fair. Sometimes it's really hard being the only radical queer in the room um, where I'm just like, like Portland has a lot of issues in general. Race is a huge issue, yeah. right? Racial, racial representation is a huge issue. Um, when we were in Accelerate. There was, um, oh, there's like 25 people in the room. There was um, maybe four of them are women of color. Are women of color. One of them was black, mm-hmm. um, and I was one of two queer women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a this awesome day where we actually got to give the program coordinators some feedback and. My friend Jordan, who is like the amazing black woman in the room, um, she's like, we need to talk about race. Like, hello, I'm the only black person here. <laughs> this right. is this is not okay. And they're like, okay, yes, like we we're, we're seeing this, we're seeing this. Like, we need to be able to outreach to communities to get those women here. And I was like, while we're on the topic, um, let's talk about the name and you know representing the you know that it's kind of a transphobic name and there's no trans people here. There's not even any non-binary people here. And whereas like the people in the room. All the other women kind of, you know, when Jordan spoke, everyone was like, yes, yes, Portland has a race problem. Portland has a race problem. When I brought up the trans thing, people were like, can you explain that to me? And like, it wasn't that they weren't receptive to it. It was just so over where they were on like a taking in the world kind of How way. How long ago was this? Last year. I mean, it was this year, technically. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So... I went to this startup accelerator program with all these Which, really nice white ladies. They just had one X because to me, one X then is pretty open. Yeah, everyone has an X. I, it is. I just think that there's also this like there was like this cute way, you know, at the time when I think the program was started of, of like showing that things were for women, and I don't. Right. Nobody intended for something to to not be inclusive. Everybody has the best of intentions. It's 2019. We're all learning about language and and being inclusive. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I went through this program. Um, we had uh, an awesome instructor for part of the course that was. So we'd go every like every month for one whole day, mm-hmm. um, and then we also got broken into small groups based on our business type. But we had like somebody from like Wharton Business School who was teaching cool. us some stuff. We had we learned about cash flow. We learned about projections. We learned about like all this business stuff that I was just like yes. Right. I need this if I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah, totally. I would, I'm terrible and I would have like recorded every session secretly just because notes sometimes don't do justice. And like, I mean, and I have a horrible memory. So like 
that is why, in fact, I went to school for journalism. I initially photojournalism and then switched to sociology. But one of my biggest, even in writing assignments I've taken since then, mm -hmm. has been like remembering everything that I have to say. Mm -hmm. And so in pro I wanted to do something like this podcast for probably probably since I was 12 or 13. Cute. <laughs> of like, why are we just not... Because I, um, there were certain careers I really wanted when I was a kid, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, but then what is like, what do you do every day? And like all these questions, yeah. and no one explains to you like all these details, right? Totally. But I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna go have to go have this conversation, and then I write it all down, and then ah, <laughs> uh, like it was this whole mind melting yeah. thing. And so when my friend Avery approached me to produce a podcast idea that he had in mind, mm -hmm. I was like a light bulb went off where I was like, oh, I'd only ever thought of like having to write it yeah. or having to do a video, both of which are nightmares to me because yeah. of just like, like with this podcast, yes, I go back, I record intros, outros, and I do a write-up. Mm -hmm. With a video, we need a space that looks beautiful. We need to like look good, but then also feel comfortable and not worry to be worried about what we look like. But then all of the editing, oh, yeah. forget about it. I was like, no, I'm not <laughs> spending like... 14 hours for these videos yeah. that people only give a shit what we're saying. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Am, I'm such a fan of podcasts, not to go down the podcast tangent. We have a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah, we have a podcast. We've got, I think we have three episodes that are up on iTunes. What's it called? Um, give it a it, plug. It's called Pitch Please. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. That's so good. And then Megan Jones, who you met on our team, yes. she's the host and cool. the producer. And um, we've got another episode that's about to drop. Um, we do about one every six weeks or so. Okay. Um, and what do y'all talk about? Kind of a, a little bit of everything. I think this season, our first season, is mm -hmm. about disruption. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of, um, each episode kind of goes into a different theme, like, or tangent off of disruption. Cool. Yeah. Do you ever listen to Mark Pollard's podcast? No. It's so I didn't really know his stuff that well. And I, um, in true judgy fashion, uh, <laughs> really typically, so with a sort of a growing up in LA and sort of like a mind of entertainment and having interned at entertainment companies and been exposed to that world, I like trust nothing at face value. Yeah, yeah. So anytime somebody's like, I'm an expert at something, like, and I mean, I don't like to shit talk much, but like Gary Vee is one of those people oh, that I just yeah. relentlessly loathe. Like I'm not even <laughs> shy about it. I, I have, have so many thoughts. <laughs> same. Where I'm like, oh yeah, we get it. You like started this wine company and then mm -hmm. utilize that list to just target with your own stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Bravo. Like, yes. It's you were like the third person on Twitter. Good for you. <laughs> right. And just that kind of shit. And where I'm like, oh, I mean, he's literally like the Trump of marketing because it's like, you're like, oh, you're being heard because you just yell a lot and yeah. you put a lot out there. Like, I just really don't care for him. So when somebody presents themselves um, or I interpret their presentation of themselves as like, I'm real. I'm like the person. Yeah, yeah. Typically, like the guy for this. I'm always like, it's a total eye roll for me. Yeah. Well, I didn't like notice the nuance of Mark Pollard. I was just kind of like, oh, another dude saying another he's a dude great strategist. Taking a space. Yeah. Yeah. I was just kind of like, whatever. But then my friend Megan was on the podcast. Who I don't know if you listened to that episode. She's the um, like director of strategy for the U.S. for Analog Folk. Oh my gosh, I have to listen to this episode. This sounds so good. You have to. <laughs> She's amazing, and she shouted him out as someone, and I was like. And I'd seen his deck for, like, these, like, strategy sessions he was doing around mm -hmm. the world. But I also come from a place where people are always, like, giving sessions on things that, yeah. like, you actually don't learn that much in. And so I really am, like, kind of, like, oh, you're, like, 
I'm just always judging a lot yeah, about yeah. that kind of thing where I don't really trust that anyone's giving good advice. I but he, he gives amazing advice. I'll like, have to check that out. So I'll have to check that out. I kind of feel similarly. I feel really like when people call themselves experts and you know, like I do so much spinning for people um, that I feel like I'm very jaded, Mm -hmm. but then something kind of magical has happened in the last two years where I think I might be the best person at PR full stop. Okay. Like I just actually think that I'm like really, really good at this job. And so kind of backing up my thought process on this is that I, I play sports. I played roller derby for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I would always come across these people that just had more natural talent than me. Mm -hmm. Or I watch a lot of women's soccer. And I think a lot about, you know, those people who, you know, maybe as like a Mm 12-year-old was just like so much naturally, had so much more natural talent. And I was always so mad. Like basically my entire life, because I did performing arts too, and I was very mediocre at it, Uh where I just was so mad that I never had something where I was like naturally talented. Same. I just had this conversation with my ex the other day and he was like why would you think that you'd be naturally talented at anything I was like because I expect that of myself I seem <laughs> so because I expect to pick up the drums and just be perfect at them right because Jay-Z said that he was great when he started at three like I just didn't like that word <laughs> I know and I'm like let me tell you how many instruments I've picked up and put down right. but um I think and the thing is is like I think I am like a little bit above average on a lot of things. Like I'm right. a pretty good athlete. I can kind of pick up any sport really quickly. I'm a pretty good like musician in terms of like, I'm never going to be really good because I don't put the time in, but I can like almost read music right. if I really look at it. And I can like usually pick things up a little bit quicker than people. Right. But I don't have enough natural talent to like make it exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So I was having this like realization, like when I was actually struggling with hiring, like a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. before I hired all of these people. I also like that you're <laughs> saying this because usually, I mean, this is probably reflective of my friends, but usually when my friends are like, I was having this realization, I expect to be followed up like, while well, I was on mushrooms. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't and then I was think like, I was oh, on mushrooms. While you were hiring. Okay, that's not where I, I was going. While I was hiring. No. Right. Um, I mean, I do occasionally smoke weed, but I don't think, I think this was like a very sober thought and like a slow, <laughs> slow build of like a whole thought process. Totally. Where I am really good at this job. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what if PR is my thing? What if, like, I am the Michael Jordan of public relations? Which is totally, I think, in American culture especially, we put specific types of roles on a pedestal. Yes. And we do not ever look at, like, all these other things going on in the world that we are really good at. And similarly, I did not understand until um, Corey Kineberg, who's amazing, he's an incredible social media strategist mm. he's who was doing he's who did you see the amazing like clapbacks that axe did during pride mm-hmm. he that's him mm. what he said in terms of social media is he was like look we're paid for our emotional intelligence like we're paid mm-hmm. for our eq and that is something that because it's not measurable like yes. there's no like um super bowl of emotional intelligence. Oh my, I would be the QB of that Super Bowl. My <laughs> like, Q is just like, pew, it's way up there. And that is really something that I didn't, and I didn't understand that it wasn't normal until I started working in a lot of agency environments mm-hmm. where I would try to explain these like observations about culture yeah. and see like a blank stare on someone's face. And I would be like, why don't you get it? Yeah. And then Megan, the um, 
the strategist who was on the previous episode, she working with her actually because we worked together at Possible on a few different accounts, mm-hmm. taught me like, oh, that's how you communicate to the emotionally unintelligent. Yeah, is like because I'm not a very enthusiastic person, and she's super enthusiastic. Yeah, that I was like, oh, you have to say it with enthusiasm and bring these like insights to people mm-hmm. because they will not see that for themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting working in at rebellious PR right now as you know like I am you know hands-on in accounts I consider you know like I'm like in the trenches with the team every single day but I'm also like doing invoices doing payroll like all right. these other things too but the the thing that I've tried to do with hiring at rebellious PR so like my goal is that every single hire is like a totally different person than That's we awesome. already have. That's very cool. And that way nobody ever feels othered because we're all others. Right. So being when I when I did come out when I was 32 years old, I all of a sudden I was the token gay person in the room. And like I had like staff members, I had this one staff member in particular where she like anytime her and I were alone together mm-hmm. awkwardly whether it was like after a client call or in a car driving somewhere to a meeting she would always tell me about her gay sister like her sister that was coming out and I'm like I see that this is sort of like you're trying to relate to me in a way that maybe is very sweet but and what you don't realize is I don't care Mm. I don't care about your sister I don't care about her girlfriend I don't care about this conversation and I'm I kind of am over it well and we're not friends enough yes that I'm like oh how's your sister yeah I've met your sister once at your wedding she was drunk I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, but that sort of ha- started happening more and more and more. And then especially when I worked for the horrible, horrible agency up here, it was this weird thing where I was tokenized. There was like a lot of microaggressions in the way people talked about me or to me. And so, and I hated that. I'm a white woman. Like now imagine if you are a trans person of color or right. a person of color and, it, and, in, and you're working in these environments. It's like, it's no wonder that PR agencies are filled with rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of pictures of white women. Yeah. Because it is not an environment that is welcoming to any anybody else. Yeah. And so we have an incredibly diverse staff here. And like it's really hiring is never been more stressful for me. Or I should say I it's just it's really hard to find those kinds of people in Portland. Mm. Um, so really like, you know, looking at people working at other agencies, looking at people who right. maybe don't do something specific to PR, but maybe are PR adjacent. Yeah. Um, and then also, um, half of our team is in LA, so that does open up the pool a little bit, but, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's not as easy as just putting out a job posting anymore. Totally. Yeah. That is, it is interesting. I've lived in Seattle for the last five years, but I'm from LA mm-hmm. and just, it was astonishing to me the lack of diversity represented in like rooms in in Seattle mm-hmm. where it was like very shocking to me and <clears throat> one cool thing about uh having like so my grandmother's from Colombia and so that is a culture that, like, I've always been exposed to my entire life. And there was Spanish, Spanish spoken in the home. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm probably, if you look at my cousins and I, like, I look very different than most of my cousins. Like, I'm very obviously white. And I will often remind people, like, as a white person, there is no denying 
like all the things that a lot of white people like to deny mm -hmm. in terms of like the isms out there. Yeah. Because let me tell you, because I'm white, other white people are very comfortable sharing their, you know, feelings and racial jokes and all that stuff mm -hmm. with me, assuming that we're on the same page. Yeah. Not knowing, you know, that like my dad was born in this country, but like some of his sisters weren't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, not yeah. knowing that background. And so I'm like, oh no, that is like, and to me, it's honestly a privilege to have insight into that because I can't even imagine what it's like, like for the, my friends who are people of color yeah, living their lives wondering like, oh, is this person an asshole or is it because of the color of my skin? Well, like think, that layer of just extra yeah. wondering because I, I mostly don't wonder that as a woman and I only don't wonder it, I think, because my parents kind of raised me like a boy. Yeah. So I never, and I think a lot of how I act is like a boy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm never like, it isn't until much later that I'm like, oh, I think it's because I'm a girl. And I remember my boyfriend in college and I worked together and he owned this company where we did a lot of production. And one of the most badass things like a man has ever done for me was what he would do regularly when we would go into meetings. When I was like managing the company and we'd be doing a walkthrough and I'd be asking questions. Yeah. And all of the client or potential clients questions or answers would go straight to him multiple times. He would go talk to her about it. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's, it's huge to have somebody do that for you. And that was when I was like, oh, wow, it is because I'm a girl. <laughs> I just, I sort of similarly, like, I think I kind of was raised with the confidence of a boy. Um, I think that my parents, my mom and my dad, when they were still married, I'm, I'm their only kid mm. and I'm my dad's only kid. And I was put on a pedestal. Like my parents, there is no, not a doubt in my mind that my parents don't love, or my parents love me to death. Right. You know, like they, Same. it's just, and it, I think it created, um, this sort of privilege that I moved the, through the world with. And that was like a harsh reality when I was in college when, and I think I didn't see a lot of sexism because I was like, Oh, like, of course that person has good intentions or that person wouldn't talk to me that way. Or like, totally. what's even a microaggression? Like, right. you know, so it, it has been like a really interesting learning process the last 15 years or so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, because it, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't ever met anybody else who kind of like had, had that similar experience. It's, and it never, it never stopped me to go like, oh, I can't do that because I'm not a boy. Like it yeah. never occurred to me I couldn't play on a professional sports team because I wasn't a boy probably until I was like in college. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, not, I mean, not only have I never played sports, but also they wouldn't take me. And I yeah. found it like fascinating. Like I've done a lot of work in esports in the last few mm -hmm. years. And seeing that like on esports teams, they're not letting women and men be on the same teams uh, for some God. of the leagues. And I'm like... Oh, I'm sorry. Because, what? Because of thumb dexterity? Like, yeah, what's yeah. your excuse now, dipshits? Oh, my goodness. Anyways, back <laughs> to our main conversation. Yes, yes. Tangent City. Um, so, uh, let's get it. Let's talk a little bit about client work specifically. Okay. Do you have, like, for your team, have you set up sort of the main questions that you ask clients when you go in? And, like, what are some of those questions? Yeah. So, um, our kind of process for talking to new clients like first of all we don't do the dog and pony show very often I think we've done it once and we didn't get the business and I was so pissed I was like anybody who wants us to come pitch them in person has to pay us a deposit mm. um, and that is a thing that I've talked to some people in advertising and they're like you should do that like it hurts you guys are too small and it hurts your bottom line too much to like fly a bunch of people in 
stay in a hotel, totally. spend hours and hours putting together a pitch deck, which we're going to kill. And then, you know, be iffy if the business is going to come through or not. Right. So we do a lot of like exploratory calls. Mm -hmm. um, we ask people, you know, um, you know, what their PR hopes and dreams are. Mm -hmm. um, where do you want to see yourself? If you say Oprah, I might punch you in the face. <laughs> I feel like there was a period of time where everybody was like, I want to be on Oprah. I want to be on Ellen. And the thing is, is like when you do line up that opportunity for somebody like, okay, we had a product way back in the day um, when I was working in Santa Cruz and we were like, okay, like you can be a prize that Oprah gives away today. You just have to give out 300 plus units. And they're like, oh no, we can't do that. Which to me, I'm like, because all, yeah, I, that is... <laughs> Be careful what you ask for because you might actually get it and have to deliver. Right. And so how do you work on level setting with clients? Um, I just do. I'm very frank and transparent with clients. Um, I think, you know, my demeanor is always um, kind and I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Um, I want to make everybody's hopes and dreams come true within reason. Um, if somebody's like, we want to be on The View, I'll be like, okay, like here's what this could look like. And we will pitch people and we have contacts, but this is like, this is a pipe dream. So let's kind of like, we'll work on that, right. but let's take it down like one level down. And also potentially because, I mean, because I don't do PR, that's what I went to school. It was my minor in school mm -hmm. and I interned at some, and did some PR work in that department. But then I've mostly worked in social mm -hmm. and a lot of my conversations similarly are like, a, level setting, but then B, going, like, but how does that ladder up to your overall goals? Mm -hmm. Like, is that really the audience that's your audience? Like, do you understand what happens? That, like, yeah, you might get no purchases after that. And yeah. is that still the investment you want to make if it's a year for that to pay off? So what we talk a lot about in that first meeting, and I really wish that all clients would remember this conversation, <laughs> um, is... So first of all, if, we, if you are a company and you've never done PR before... We don't just like start, we don't just sign a contract the next day and you start getting coverage. Right. It takes a minute. Totally. We have to learn all about you. Mm -hmm. um, we have to create press lists for you. We have to figure out, like have a few conversations with you and start pulling the stories out of you to figure out, you know, not just you being out there in the world is a story. And that's really hard for some people to kind of like grapple with because yeah. It's when you're a founder and I, I suffer from this as well, is like you kind of have an ego. You're like, you know, you listen to me 10 minutes ago. I'm the best person at this job. Full stop. Like, why isn't everybody writing about that? Why isn't everybody writing about how I'm <laughs> the second coming of PR Jesus Christ? Right. You know, but it's like because I'm not that important in the grand scheme of the world. And so I think that's a really hard thing for clients to kind of to kind of grapple with is that like, OK, we're going to sign you and then it might take a month at least for us to get coverage unless you have like a hard launch. Right. And even then we've seen things just completely flop because it was wrong time, wrong place. Yeah. Well, and also even like they're relying on you, but you're relying on the media. So mm -hmm. it really all depends on like the media's timeline. Right. And if that story is getting pushed out for two months, they're yeah. not going to rush it on your behalf because it's not relevant. Totally. And I mean, there's just things that are, that are coming into play because of the state of the world that affect everybody. Right. So like politics, like I got into, I mean, I had the world's worst client for a year and mm -hmm. they didn't understand why they weren't getting coverage and it was November this year. And I'm like, it's an election. Right. The whole world stops now. 
Yeah. And unless your tech has to do with election stuff, like, no, yes, you're still seeing stories published, but it's like that story could have been in the works for two months. I mean, let's keep in mind that 9-11 overshadowed Aaliyah's death. So, like... R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> majorly. But you're also like, hey, yeah, it is reasonable that when these other things are going on, mm -hmm. or there's an emergency, or something terrible happens, or there's a tsunami, that guess what? Like, your product, or your wearable, or whatever, yeah. like, nobody, that's something for a quiet summer day. Yeah. You know, that is something that, like, people should be on, like, a list of things to buy, yeah. and, like, that's where it and is And we right also now. should not be sending out pitches that don't relate to current events. Right, because we're not doing, as an agency, you're not main, being a good, like, partner to media. Yes. And, and so then it's a little bit like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. You know, then that every time they hear from you and it's bad timing because this client's pushing you. Yep. Like, you need to be, and it's, again, it comes back to trusting your own emotional intelligence. Yes. Of, like, no, this isn't the right move because I do this. And, like, why would you hire someone that you don't think does a good job? Well, and also, like, I have an advantage. And that is that my partner is a tech journalist. Mm. And the advantage isn't that... She never is like helping me in this. She's never writing about my clients or anything like that. But I do bounce things off of her. And I'll be like, do you think it's okay to send a pitch like this out this week? And she'll be like, fuck no. Right. <laughs> you know, or like, I want to get to this person at this publication. And she'd be like, that person's a jerk. Don't waste, save Which, your breath. What a good gut check though, because I think, you know, first of all, back to what you were saying about having an ego. When people talk about business owners having an ego, it's like, yeah, you have to to survive. Yeah. <laughs> like, newsflash. Like, any person without an ego does not go, oh, I can go out and start my own company. My yeah. friend Chino, um, he's, like, the founder of several different – he's he's produced several different apps that have gotten – I think he's gotten over, like, 5 million downloads or 500 million, something wild. And yeah. he's very young. So it's, like, very impressive. And he and I were talking a lot about ego because we were, we were roommates for a while – and we had the, a very blunt conversation where I was like, look, dude, like you have to have an ego to a degree because other, like only somebody who's a little bit insane oh, and 100%. egocentric steps out to do that kind of yeah. thing. And unfortunately, you know, and I see this happen in, in um, terms of information sharing mm -hmm. a lot is that you get a lot of people sharing wrong information because they have an ego. Mm -hmm. And then you have academics who are really taking their time to find like, you know, very thorough, properly sorted out information yep. who will take 10 years to publish a paper and they're confused why everyone's listening to all these people who just spout off about everything. Yeah. And it's an unfortunate uh, sort of like news cycle that we live in where that's like the oh, information as is, yeah. but it's also the reality. And so I think there's the ego part, but then also when you're working in the silo of you're doing PR, you're living in a world, if you don't have someone who's in media to be yeah. blunt with you, you're in a world where you're like, Hopefully this is what they want. And it's like doing it's like doing product development for a customer that you know nothing about. It can yes. be weird. For me, a lot of times what ends up happening is she is kind of the she just repeats back the thing that I know is right. Right. So in my mind, like, you know, we get so much pressure on the client that it's like the client's like, you know, follow up again or, you know, pitch it this way. And I'm just like, ooh, I don't think that's right, but maybe I should just do that because that's what the client wants. And I I grapple with that a little bit because I, I feel like I do a really good job of being like, no, we shouldn't follow up again. Right. You know, like, no, that's not the right thing to do. Like, right. I'm, I'm I'm the expert. Let me figure that out. I don't do your job. Right. Um, but you don't want to shut someone down either because yeah. 
we've all also heard those stories of like, well, they kept knocking down my door and finally I answered. Yeah. You know, and totally. unfortunately, those are stories because that's the outlier and not the norm. Well, and here's the thing about journalists that drive me crazy. They all have totally different opinions, experiences, point of views, whatever yeah. it is. And so I really hate it when you go into like, like ad week, we'll do like a, um, like a workshop where it'll be like, okay, this will be about gift guide pitching. And then you'll get this one journalist and he's like, this is how I like to be pitched. And I'm like, I've literally heard it the opposite way from somebody who's just as valuable. Which is, and that is something that I try to remind people of <laughs> across the board, yeah. whether you're applying for a job or pitching a journalist or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That like, yeah, these are all people and everyone's different. So like in the same way that some HR people or recruiters won't give you a second look because your resume wasn't printed on a nice sheet of paper. Yes. Other people don't care that you showed up without a resume. They just care about totally. the conversation. Totally. And that's just, I mean, it's the same way that like, um, I do not enjoy when men ask me questions about like, well, what do women like? And I'm like, I'm not a normal woman. <laughs> like, and I don't know that there is a normal woman. Yeah. So like we all have our own insecurities and preferences and unique life experiences. So like what I like versus what another woman likes is going to vary by the day. And also like what I like depends on who's giving it to me. Yeah. Because you can be... Like, you can give me the world's best gift, but if I don't like you as a person, I'm not going to want it. Well, and so my response to somebody like that would be, well, what do you like, you know? And because I think there's this thing that we're really breaking down right now in society is making assumptions about entire groups of people. Yes. We are all just individuals. We are all just little babies lost in space. And like we all, there's nothing that makes me a woman where if that guy's a man that really makes us that different versus other than gender and like life experience. Right. But like, I mean, we could get like really deep into that, but it's just like, I think that's the thing that I see happening in society right now is that we are like breaking down these barriers of how we treat each other. And what we think, like I was, I was having this conversation with an Uber driver where we were talking about how everybody wants just like the headline of like news or like, Oh, just tell me the short version of something. And I was like, what's wild to me and insane to me about that is like, if we were to go on a date and I was to go, Evie, tell me about yourself. And you were like, well, I, and you like said like a sentence and then kept going. And I was like, no, 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 no. Just in like a couple words. (laughs) Can you give me the clickbait version of your life? (laughs) Right. Like that would not stand in an interpersonal relationship. No. So how can you expect me to explain women as a group or queer people as a group or multiracial people as a group when like... It's all very different and it depends on how you grew up and how you internalize that and like literally everything else. Yeah. So like why not just let's we can make a few basic assumptions, one of which is like uh, the only universal thing between us is that we're all going to die. Yeah. It's the only thing we all have in common with 100% Most of us have to pay taxes. Right. Most (laughs) of us have to pay taxes. Right. There is that. But like also that most people are not waking up every day with malicious intent. No. And... Like, I don't expect anyone to be mature because in my experience, like, living longer doesn't make you more mature. Like, caring about progressing as a person makes you more mature. So, like, I don't expect anybody to live up to any sort of expectations because they're on their own journey that has nothing to do with me. And it would be alarming if it had something to do with me. Yes. Like, it's no one's job to be what I want in a coworker or a partner or whatever. 
they should be their own person. And if that works for me, great, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very, I don't know why people have these ideas that like other people are like characters, but they're unique. I, (laughs) you know, my, my life experience about like how I move through the world, like after I came out, it just, things changed for me. I think I was like a really shitty person before. Really? I don't think I was like a shitty person. Like I think I've always, like even as a kid, really prided myself on like my like right from wrong kind of sense. Your moral compass. Yeah. And I mean, there's always gray zones, but I think because I'd been hiding this huge secret since I was probably like 12 or 13, that like it became really easy for me to lie about things. And it became really easy for me to want a social climb in certain situations and write people off in other situations and maybe not be a good friend um, and maybe fuck somebody's boyfriend and, Mm -hmm. you know, just like all of these things. And I think some of that is just like being young and yeah, your frontal lobe hadn't finished. Exactly. But I do think that um, after I came out, there was this really, I saw it as just like this opportunity to kind of shed my old life and just like move through the world in this way that felt like really light, where I hold myself accountable. I'm confident, but I don't try, I try not to have an ego. Of course I have an ego. Leo is in my chart. (laughs) Wait, when's your birthday? Well, so I'm actually a Pisces, but okay. um, I have a Leo moon. Nice. And um, I'm like, if you're going to be in Portland, you better know your whole chart. Um, <laughs> and, but I, I, you know, I grapple, I struggle a lot with my ego. I hold myself in check constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I am can be the biggest baby if you talk to my partner about things. And then I will throw like, not like a fit, but I will get very defensive. And then five minutes will go by and I'm like, okay, I'm really sorry. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean... It becomes really difficult because I think as a woman, you do have to, you realize at an early age that confidence has a lot to do with how people treat you. And that if you enter a room, yeah, guessing and wondering if you're right versus, and also the amount of times that in retrospect, you're like, oh, I was right. Why didn't I hold to that? It only makes you double down on like, no, I'm right. So I had this interesting like thing, like storyline of my confidence is I had this crazy amount of confidence. And when I was like... God, how old was I? Like 20? Uh-huh. I had these people that like in my life who, including a, a really shitty boyfriend, who were just like, who dragged me because of my confidence. And it was almost like I had to change the way I presented myself to the world to make them more comfortable because I was too confident. Interesting. And so I kind of like had to like back down and it was like, a really interesting journey to kind of get back to that version of myself, which I mm-hmm. think is just like me being a super sparkly person, right? You know, that was maybe like a little too big for that little town that I was living in. Yeah, and some people, you know, I think the when a, when somebody has something that they decide is wrong with you, it has more to do with them, a hundred percent, with you. And yeah. that's a really, but at twenty, you don't know that. So when you came out, how did that affect your work? Um, and how did your divorce affect your work? Because I don't know the, I don't know the order of operations. Yeah. That's like a um, really intense. I can't imagine showing up to work. Like, I've gone through breakups with work and yeah. it has been horrible. I can't imagine a divorce. Uh, it was 
hard. I'm trying to, rem I'm trying to like pull back the memories. I was doing like a, like my best friend was Jameson, the whiskey during that time. So oh, I was like, what does that have to do? You're like, who's Jameson? He sounds like, great. Nice. Um, no, I was, I was just, I was drinking, not like, like during the day or anything, but I was just like at night, you know, mm -hmm. like I'd get home from roller derby practice, have like a casual three shots of Jameson and a couple of beers <laughs> on a Tuesday. Um, and so I was, I was doing what you do when you get through a divorce. Which, listeners, it's not healthy. It's not. I don't recommend it, but I do believe that there's times in your life that you just have to get through. There are times. Yeah. Indeed. That, I mean, also, yeah. I mean, what choice do you have? So, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, there was a few things happening at that time. Um, I think if I'd just gotten divorced and hadn't gotten divorced and come out, it wouldn't have felt like as, like, big of a deal. But with my divorce and then coming out, it was um, an admission of guilt for mm. me and an admission of I'm not perfect because I'd really bought into that whole perfection thing. I had, you know, a nice looking husband from a really good family. Um, we had a dog and a cat. We were trying to have babies. We were, you know, I had a great job. We'd like flipped his life into like a career you know, so it was all these things that on the surface, which I didn't really realize was like really, really important to me to appear that I was checking all the boxes I was supposed to be checking. Which again comes back to ego. Yeah, it does. And I also think it's like fucked up society, like standards that we put on women. Totally. Um, and that I was on the conveyor belt doing the things, you know, like, here I go, we're going to have a baby. Um, and because, you know, and that was really what ended our marriage was that, um, I mean, there were some few things that ended our marriage, but... Um, we tried to get pregnant and well the first time so I got pregnant the first time by accident mm -hmm. um and we were like oh I guess it's time to have a baby we, we just got married this is like the timing couldn't be more right like I guess like let's have this baby and we got really excited we found out it was twins and then um went in for a the sonogram or whatnot and there were no heartbeats and oh. it was just like and i was like really close to being like out of the danger zone or right out of the perceived like you know 12 13 week danger zone right and it was um like it just destroyed me as a of human course. being yeah and how could it not yeah and i um you know i had never cheated on oliver at that point i had kissed other guys, flirted with other guys, maybe some other thing with Ray's own, um, you know, over the years. And for, for whatever reason, you know, my sexual desires were something that felt like they weren't getting met. We'll get to that point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so then that year, I just kind of like, he became, you know, and I, you know, still to this day, like, I will always have love in my heart for Oliver. Um, I don't think that he did anything wrong. I just don't think we were the right people for each other. But he became very emotionally unavailable to me in this time where all I needed was somebody. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he quite knew what I needed. I didn't know what I needed. And then ran into this guy that I had kind of fucked around with like four years previously. Mm -hmm. And we had an affair. And mm -hmm. then got caught, which was terrifying. Yeah. And um, horrible. Like, and horrible. nobody wants... Doesn't matter, even if you're cheating, you don't yeah. want to hurt the person that you're it was with so, that way. The cheating was so not about Oliver. It right. was definitely about me. And I didn't realize until I started cheating with women that mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's the thing I'm not getting. I have such an emotional attachment to women in a way, sexually and 
emotionally that I just don't have with men. And it's not that I don't find men attractive Mm -hmm. and don't like hanging out with men. Mm -hmm. I just feel like, like this idea when I first started sleeping with women, it was like, and I fell in love with a woman that it was like, wait, it's like hanging out with your best friend, but we get to fuck each other and it's so good. And I was just like, oh shit, I think I'm gay. (laughs) Right? Um, and I just like, there's a lot of stuff tied up in that for me because my dad's gay Mm -hmm. and I knew in junior high making this like life decision that I was going to stand by that no matter what I was going to be in life, I wasn't going to be gay because people treated me like shit because I had a gay dad Mm -hmm. in 1993, 1994. As they will in the 90s. Yeah. And in rural Northern California. And granted, he didn't live in, in that little town, but you know, like I'd go visit him and people like talk about that kind of thing because it's a small town and it's a small town. There's not a lot going on. It was, must've been very exciting for everybody. So like I kind of made that decision then. And so in my mind, when I look back and like, I knew, Mm. I knew then that I was gay. Because also at that age, if you have to make that decision of I won't be gay, mm-hmm. if you're not gay, you don't have to make that choice. Yeah. If you're not queer, you don't have to go, I'm not doing that. Yeah, yeah. Because you're just not going to do it in the same way that, like, if you don't like tomatoes, you don't have to tell yourself every day, I'm it's not like, having I am tomatoes. not having tomatoes no matter how much I think about them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so it was at work, it definitely, I think the lead up before Oliver, you know, it was, it was I think the divorce was the cleanest part, honestly. And coming out, like, once, like, I had all those difficult conversations, it was just like, okay, I'm here. Let's do, let's get back to work. Because it felt like there was almost like a three-year period of time where my whole fucking life fell apart between having what ended up being two miscarriages with the first married or the first um, miscarriage. And then a year later, we got pregnant because we were trying, 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 finally got pregnant, had Mm -hmm. another miscarriage. I just was like, I don't think we're supposed to be together. And this is like evidence that Mm -hmm. we're not supposed to be together. And I love you and we're comfortable together, but I'm not in love with you. And I really want to fuck women. So I got to (laughs) go. And, you know, like, I think, you know, our, our breakup was, it was really sad because we'd been together for over 11 years and it's hard to tear yourself away from somebody when you know them so well, but you, but we also didn't know each other at all. Right. That's so, have you gone to therapy? Oh my girl. (laughs) (laughs) I go to therapy all the time, but I, I actually, I started, I started seeing a therapist when I was, when I had the, the first miscarriage and she was like a really bad therapist. Interesting. Why? I saw her for probably about a year. Um, she was a, somebody who was, um, like a recovering alcoholic, which Mm -hmm. like no shame there. Like some of my favorite people are recovering alcoholics, but she brought a lot of that into therapy and she would concentrate a lot on my substance use versus what I was doing versus the reason for the substance use. Yeah. Or just like, she would be like, but were you drunk when that was happening? And I was like, I'm telling you, I'm fucking another guy who's not my husband. And you're worried about the substance use. Right. Can we like there there are some people that do not know how to separate AA from yeah. like like the amount of friends I have that are in AA that like everything that they talk about has to and I get that that's their deal. Yeah. But I've had to be like I might have an addictive personality. 
it's not with alcohol. Yeah, it's so like <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she also tried to have me work twelve like the twelve steps for something that was like a conflict with somebody I was having at work. Right. Like I mean, it was just like, and then at a certain point, I think she just got really bored with me, and she told me I graduated therapy. And I was like, I'm my mom's a therapist, my stepdad's a therapist. You don't graduate therapy. Right. I tell you when I graduate therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like fuck you, lady. Um, but when I when all this stuff was going on, well, so like the divorce is happening, I'm coming out, I'm also having a relationship with somebody I was that overlapped with my marriage that mm-hmm. was a secret relationship that kind of stayed a secret relationship. Like we never called each other girlfriends, even though this person moved into my house. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very skittish about people thinking that she was a homewrecker. There was also an age difference. Um, and so I was in this relationship where I could never, and she really wanted to fuck other people. And I was really like, had not been exposed to anything but monogamy, even though I struggled within monogamy, Mm -hmm. but I was so in love with this person because it was like my first queer love. Mm -hmm. So I was essentially a teenager. Right. And, um, was just like, it's never going to be better than this. This is it. Like, why won't she love me? I just want her to the only pay, I want her to only pay attention to me. Like, you know, all those stupid, stupid, stupid feelings. I mean, and this person... Um, is a shithead. Like, still to this day, I'm like, why did I give this person this much power in my life? Like, she's literally the worst person. Because that's what we do when we're not a good place in our lives. Yeah. And <laughs> I feel like when we're not in good places in our lives, there's, like, these people who are an emotional shark who just come and bite you up, fuck your life up, and then spit you out and leave totally. you like they never knew you. Yeah. Um, but I started seeing a therapist when I was, like, in, in the relationship with her. And mm-hmm. I, I, I was with her in therapy with her for two years till I moved here. And then I, I go to therapy regularly. I kind of, I mean, it sounds super privileged. So forgive me, but I like, I really can't be friends with people unless they are in some sort of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor goes, my partner goes to therapy. Like I'm not like you need to go every single week. Like maybe it's once a year for a check-in, but I, I just, I kind of can't trust people unless that they have a therapist. I feel like, because I, I understand why some people don't have a therapist, Yeah, but I'm like, if you're not, finding some form of like betterment like yeah if you're not exactly downloading meditation apps and figuring that out or listening to conversations with therapists or learning about attachment theory like yeah. if you're not doing that stuff it does make it difficult because also that has always been such a big part of my life yeah that I'm like then what do you do with your brain all the time yeah yeah like, what do you well and how do you how do you get better as a human being? Right. How do you become, because you know what I'm interested in is becoming the best version of myself. And right. maybe it's because I kind of was given the second chance, you know, or like because my life, you know, totally set on fire, exploded, and then I grew a new tree, mm-hmm. you know, right. um, is that I, I am really interested in how to work with my personality, how to understand like the parts of myself that may not be the best mm-hmm. um, and, and acknowledge that those are there and try to figure out how to grow to be an even better human being. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm interested in. And I'm really not interested in hanging out with people who don't share that. Agreed. I have a, I mean, luckily I think the way that I navigate life anyways doesn't attract those people into my life. Yeah, period. yeah, yeah. You have a tendency, I think when you're in on kind of your vibrating there that like other people are like, cool, cool, cool. I'm here too. Let's, let's hang out. Right. Because I have noticed that like people who aren't like that disappear from my life very quickly. Yeah. And, and also I just have no, I'd venture to say that like, if you talk to me for 10 minutes, you can probably tell that I'm not the type of person that if you come to me with a problem, that's your own doing 
that I'm going to be like, you know, quote unquote on your side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to just be like, okay, well you see how, you know, your choices to do X, Y, Z got you there. Right. Great. Well, don't do that again. What else? You know what I mean? I like, have a really hard time with people in self misery. Agree. Um, and I don't know if that comes from my, you know, all, all issues stem to your parents and your childhood. Totally. And my mom is definitely, I love my mom, but she's definitely somebody who, um, has created a life of her own making and she's just so deeply unhappy. Um, you know, it, it kind of comes and goes, but I think for me, it's just like anybody who can sit and be unhappy mm-hmm. for long periods of time, we have the power to change our lives. Right. Like yeah. we can, I can, if I hate rebellious PR, I, and it makes me deeply unhappy. I can shut the doors and right. I can go work wherever I want to work. Yeah. You know, like whether it's maybe I change, I'm decide I'm going to go work at Whole Foods because I have great health insurance and I want zero responsibility. Do you do their PR? <laughs> you're telling me. No, I don't. But I do fantasize anytime I see a hiring sign. I'm just like, oh, that health insurance is really good. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes I have in moments of misery at jobs, realized that, like, to this day, I think my favorite job ever was being a barista. Yeah. Just because you get to, like, (laughs) stupid as this sounds, you, like, get to be physical all day. Yeah. And have short, comedic interactions with people that don't carry into long engagements. I was a bartender for a really long time, and I I honestly think that's what helped prep me for PR and learning how to read people and stuff like that. But, I mean, it was the funnest time of my life. Yeah. It was the, the funnest time of my it's life. It's so fun. Yeah. Did a lot of drugs. Don't remember a lot of it. Remember most of it. But it was the funnest time You're of like, my life. You're like, it's a fond feeling. So that's what counts. <laughs> um, let me look through some of my... Oh, you know what I forgot to ask you? Um, what is some of, like, your favorite things about your client work? Ooh, I love the kinds of clients we work with. So... About a year into starting Rebellious, I decided, I was like, what if I only worked with underrepresented founders mm-hmm. or mostly worked with underrepresented founders? Right. You're not going to your, fire your existing clients. Right? No, you're like, well, exactly. You're a white man. We can't work together. Exactly. Anymore. Like, Stop. what am I going to go to Stern Pinball and be like, sorry, guys, let's just throw this 10-year relationship out the window. Yeah. I know we get along and we're friends now and we, and like, you pay me, but... Yeah. You're finally represented. No. So, I mean, and but I think it what it does is it kind of, between our name and that being our mission, it really reads out a lot of people who probably might pay us a lot of money but be total fucking shitheads. Right. Not the cl- kind of clients that you want to work exactly, with. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, our kind of, like, mission statement, if you will, is, like, you know, we work with underrepresented founders like our client, um, our client spread matches, matches our staff spread, Mm -hmm. um, as far as kind of like diversity and inclusion. Um, and we want to work with people who are driving some sort of cultural conversation forward Mm -hmm. with their company. Um, and so what that means for me is I get to work with like a lot of cool shit and stuff that I use, um, stuff that I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, I get to work with people that I'm most of the time genuinely in awe of. Well, because you're learning from people all the time. Yeah. Because when your clients are diverse, yeah, they're approaching 
problem solving, which is why anyone starts a company, is yeah. to solve some sort of problem Yes. Um, with their own unique perspective. And you get to then understand that story and be more empathetic to people. Yeah. And then what I get to do is use my super skills and I get to tell that story. Right. And I get to get that story out to the world. And that to me just is like the best part about my job. I love bringing attention to people. Um, I like, you know, I like to think that we're slowly changing the world with our work. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I think the best example is um, <clears throat> our client is Laura DiCarlo. Um, one of our clients is Laura DiCarlo and they're the sex toy that the Consumer Electronics Show gave oh, an award to. Stop it. Really? That's yeah. Client? Yes. She's like, amazing. we were in the Accelerate together. Oh my God. Yeah. I have followed that story for since it happened. Yeah. I pitched all those stories. Oh, wasn't it? <laughs> Just on um, This American Life. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's like a huge thing. Trying to explain that because, to well, people. Because, she ever wants to be on the podcast, let me I, know. I mean, she will. We can, we can talk about that later. She's I have amazing. I have binders of women for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's such like a really great example of us actually creating effective change. CES is a show that I have gone to for over a decade. Mm -hmm. I've experienced every level of sexism you can, ex you can imagine from yes. having to work alongside booth babes. No offense to booth babes. They're great. But like... Like working at companies that thought it was okay to have booth babes in the booth while I'm there meeting with press people. Now, can you not, like, do you not see us as two of the same creatures? Mm -hmm. You know, like we're both women and this is like, it's like such a weird feeling. And to think, I guess to me, I'm like, really, that was your, because your product wasn't good enough, you... And, like, really, that's the kind of attention you want to attract is, like, creepy dudes. <sighs> well, Ugh. the whole thing is, like, everything at CES is designed for men. Yeah. Or it was. And so what we actually got to do through Laura DiCarlo is, like, Rachel on our team, she's the one who rewrote the booth babes policy. She's the one that re like that wrote the, the inclusion policy for oh the sexual God. health and wellness. So, and I mean, CES isn't giving us the credit for that, but I mean, it's fine. Typical. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, and like, honestly, like when you choose a life of PR, you've chosen a life of being the the shadowy figure in the background literally with the smartphone the in her hands. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is literally like one of the reasons why I'm talking to you is because so much, I don't think people on the receiving end of media understand how things get there. Yeah. <laughs> And this is how things get there. This is how is things get PR. there. Yeah. I mean, and so the thing with Laura DiCarlo is I started work, Laura and I were in um, the Accelerate together. We got paired pretty early as far as like, she's somebody, they were like, oh, you need PR. We happen to have a PR person who works in femtech um, in who's your cohort mate. Mm -hmm. We met and they were like, well, we really, you know, we don't have a product yet. We really just want to do awards. And I was like, well, if you want to do awards, you got to do the consumer technology award and I can, I can help you with that, you know? And mm -hmm. so... They brought us on over a year ago, um, last summer, and we, um, you know, I had examples of people, like past clients who'd filled out their award apps, um, and I gave everything I had to them. You know, we worked together on it, um, and then when they didn't get it, I was like, look, I know you're going to be, or we got it. <laughs> right. We got it. Yay. And then I, and then they, there was this whole, we don't, it's been told, the story has been told a million times, yeah, but listen, essentially. I mean, where would you, where do you recommend people go and listen to, or like learn more about the story? Um, I mean, I think there's, um, actually, I feel like Dean Takahashi from VentureBeat wrote the best story. That That's was the most. I originally read it. Um, just because I think that there's the story where a lot of people leave out the PR part of this, but mm -hmm. the thing is, is 
that we're such an integral part of this story yeah. and it couldn't have happened without us. Totally. And our knowledge and our strategy that I get like a little bit, I mean, this is the first time anything like this has happened in my life where I'm actually like, no, I'm actually, I am actually in this story. Right. Um, I'm the publicist they kept mentioning on This American Life. Which I will, for listeners, I will link to that Venture Bee article in the description of this podcast. So just scroll through the description and look it up or literally Google sex toy CES uh, Venture Bee, Dean, <laughs> and those words will lead you to that story. Oh my God, in a black hole of so many articles. Yeah, um, good luck. But I just knew right away, I was like, this is the best gift we could have been given. Because Absolutely. the only thing that got written up the CES before was about the power outage. That was the thing that took all of the headlines. <laughs> People are itching to have something good to talk about or something horrible in this case. Yeah. Um, but through that, you know, obviously we got the Consumer Technology Association's attention. And then... Um, and you mean not only a positive impact for your client, yeah. but for CES. Like and for, for women. The, for the industry. Yeah, for women. Because when you have a positive impact for women... It's better literally for everybody. Yeah. And the fact that some people can't see that, that like empowering women and recognizing um, women specific or like issues specific to people of color is literally better for everyone. And that like by other people's lives being improved, yours will not suffer. Yeah. Like that is how it works. Well, and the thing is, is that things can't just be about men anymore. Right. It can't, it just can't be like the, we have been here. Yeah literally birthing the men, (laughs) you know, and it makes no sense to me why there's still these things that are so ass backwards in business. And when women like across studies have been shown to have whatever the phrase is, what is it where we have like the most control over the way money is spent? There's a better wording for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's exactly like we, we control like the house, the household budgets, consumer choices. Yeah. 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 So like stop marketing mm-hmm. to men because they're not going to the grocery store. I mean, it's the same thing with cannabis, which mm-hmm. is actually like another like fascinating industry that we've gotten into as well is like working with um, women in cannabis. Yeah, which is, I have one on the episode. It'll be released before this one with, um, do you know who April Pride is? No. She founded Vanderpop and then sold it to Canopy Growth. Okay, yeah. And she's very badass. Yeah. And her whole company is about helping women in cannabis and like one of her big missions is like we need to figure out the diversity problem in cannabis Mm -hmm. because that is an industry that like was literally built on people of color yep and now all of the money is going to white men yeah no I mean that's so we work with a company called The Initiative and they're an accelerator for underrepresented founders and Amy Margolis who's the founder is this super famous lawyer in the cannabis space. Yeah, I I can like visualize her name yeah. because I think I've um, read about her yeah. in the past. She has great hair. <laughs> I'm always, whenever I get to talk to her, I'm like, oh, why is your hair so curly? It's so cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just the, the I, it's an important, these are all important conversations that we need to be having. But I feel like the thing that gets me excited through Rebellious is that I do feel like we're changing the world. Because you are. Here's the receipts. <laughs> if it made this American life, you're changing the world. I mean, that it's a hard thing to explain to a client that might not be familiar with this American life. Mm-hmm. Why this American life is like, like there's no better PR. Because it's like, in my mind, like you don't pitch this American life. Because they pick their own stories. Like right. It's not like that's ever been on a KPI, like a key performance indicator or goal sheet. For a client, because I would laugh at them, because I'd be like, "No, no, that's like so far out of reach. Right? That's not something that anybody ever gets." And so, right. trying to like state the importance of this and being like, 
no, this isn't just like a podcast. This, well, this <laughs> is like a long-running radio show that is not polarizing. Yeah. That is like only with like the best of feels and best of intentions. Yes. And like you really, I mean, it's probably one of like the biggest shows it's the original podcast as right. far as I'm concerned. It, yeah, totally. Like it is, I mean, I've been listening, I listen to This American Life to fall asleep because yeah. I've been listening to it since I was a child and mm -hmm. it would be on the radio around the house. Yeah. And that's what I would fall asleep to. My favorite episode is the ASMR one. Oh, <laughs> And right I loved when they so. talked about um, vocal fry one time. Those are like my two favorite yeah. stories that they've ever done. I, I don't even know if I can pick a favorite because I think I make so many This American Life references that it's like trying to like it's probably yeah I don't even know what's a favorite because yeah. it's, it's so integrated into my life that yeah. it's like I don't know it would... I, I really love that and I love um anything by Radio Lab oh totally yeah I'm like a big I listen to a lot of NPR a lot of Radio Lab yep. um I listen to a lot of WNYC shows uh -huh. and then a lot of um Max Fun like I listen to a lot of Max Fun podcasts so I listen to Bullseye they used to have a great podcast called Pop Rocket. Nice. Um, but then I think, honestly, my, the first podcast that ever got me really into podcasts that wasn't just a radio show, mm -hmm. like, put on the internet, was Aisha Tyler's podcast, <sighs> which, her. oh, my God. And I still pay the $50 a year through Libsyn or whatever mm -hmm. just to have access to all the episodes. Yes. And that show hasn't been produced since, like, 2016. Uh. But it's her conversation with... Marianne Jean-Baptiste and the other one with Viola Davis and then one with Charlize Theron. Those three conversations, mm. like, changed my life. And she's with Tim Ferriss. She's amazing. She's yeah. like, I hit her up for Comic-Con and I was like, if by chance you have free time, but I probably, she responded to one of my emails a while ago and I'm like very tempted in a year or so to just try again and go like, hey, I know Comic-Con's crazy for you. We're in the same city a lot. Yeah. I'd love to have you on the podcast because she's like the ultimate female multi-hyphenate mm -hmm. who I feel like is so underappreciated in popular conversation. I'm obsessed with her. She's the best. She's so funny. She has like a bit in a stand-up comment, like in one of her stand-up routines about women and masturbation that I was just like, I've never seen it so clearly explain the difference between <laughs> like men and women that I just, it, she, yeah. And I've, I've, I've forever, like when she was on Friends. Mm -hmm. um, just, Archer. Yeah, all the things. Archer's like, I'm obsessed with everything Me Archer. Too. I yeah. love Archer. It's yeah. so good. Um, so, last question. Okay. What is something that you would want to hear a future episode on, like, the behind the scenes of? Oh, everything. I'm, like, such a curiosity creature. Um, and I think kind of similar background to you where I actually have a, I have a journalism degree. Mm -hmm. I went to J school. I worked as a journalist super briefly um, while like I was I'm, still in school. You're like, I'm switching sides. <laughs> well, a lot of that had to do because of where I lived and having to work freelance outside of college and not wanting to bartend anymore. Totally. Makes sense. I was like, I got to get out of here. Um, but I, the thing I loved about journalism, and it's the thing I love about working in a PR agency, is I get to have complete dunks into all these different worlds without having to be married to just one. Agreed. So I would say keep on rocking with what you're doing. I hope you get that Aisha Tyler oh my God. interview. Like, I'm like, how can I help you with that? You're um, making me blush. <laughs> because I think it's just like what you do is so good. And then like just giving people such good deep looks into, into these different areas. Thank you. You're welcome. Now you have 
who do you consider a mentor now that like I don't know why that I didn't ask that earlier or my like, own mentor yeah I've never had a mentor you've never had a mentor do you mentor anybody I mentor everybody anybody okay. who'll let me mentor them um <laughs> I would say so in the accelerate program I was assigned an, a mentor in my group and that was the first time in my life I've ever had like a formal mentor uh-huh. um who's this awesome woman in town um who has been like a CEO for 20 years she's like an awesome woman of color she taught me um you know one of the most valuable pieces of business information she gave me this year was get get a little debt for your yeah. business like that is like you don't be scared to have a credit card bill like don't be scared to have you know these things with money be, to free up your cash flow which yeah. kind of this brings this conversation full circle <laughs> um but I you know also as much as I hate to admit it like my old boss in Santa Cruz as much as he didn't want to mentor me and I didn't want him to be my mentor he was my mentor yeah and you know I was thinking about that while we were talking about that and I think this happens across genders is people we live in a society that the older you get the more society does not value you yeah so you start to get that insecurity and with like the rise of digital which is not something that that generation grew up with mm-hmm. it's very easy to get fearful you know as you're approaching an age where you're looking to retire in the next 10 years yeah to get fearful of this other person versus being proud of them for growing the way that they did yeah and you know we're all no matter how successful people are, like most people are still people that have their own insecurities that just haven't figured that shit out yet. I mean, I owe a lot to him, including the name of my agency. Oh, really? Because he used to he used to tell me sometimes as a compliment and sometimes as like, you know, not an insult, but just like, you know, a worry he had. He's just like, why do you have to be so rebellious all the time? And I was just like, when I was thinking about, I'd gotten some business advice from somebody I knew that when I was starting to freelance, they're like, just be an LLC. It just looks legit. Right. You know? And I was like, okay, like, I don't want to just use my name, like Smith and Partners. Like, I'm like, totally. that's very lame. Um, and I was like, oh, you know what? I am rebellious. And like, I really, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm like, is the branding cheesy? And I'm like, no, it's just really like, I, I've never had something that felt so that I can identify so much with. And I feel like our employees really feel it too. Mm -hmm. Our clients really feel it. And like, sometimes it's a joke and sometimes, you know, it's just like, it's, I don't think there's a better word or phrase that describes the kind of work we're doing and who I am. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. I know. I'm sad this conversation's over. You're wonderful. (laughs) Likewise. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. Please do subscribe, rate, review, share this episode if you enjoyed it. Find BTS, the podcast, across social platforms. BTS Podcast was taken, so it is literally at BTS, the podcast. You can follow me if you want to see what I'm up to. It is less educational than this podcast content. I promise you that. You can also find Evie on LinkedIn and Rebellious PR on Instagram. Give Rebellious a follow. Send them some business. They do excellent work. And a friendly reminder to subscribe, rate, review, contribute, anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. If you want to shoot over some funds to help support this podcast, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And if you want to save on services that I love, that hopefully you will love as well, you could use my promo codes for Instacart, which is lcook5142, and that will help save you money off your next grocery delivery, or I guess maybe just your first grocery delivery if you've never used Instacart. 
You can use Soothe and use my code LZLRZ to save on your first Soothe massage. I'm a huge fan. As mentioned at the top of this podcast, they come to you with a massage table and a massage therapist and give you a great massage. And last but not least, save on your first booking with Hotel Tonight. They have beautiful hotels around the globe at incredible rates. Use LCOOK61 to save on your first booking. If you sign up now and put in that promo code, someday when you actually want to book a hotel, the promo code will already be applied. Music on this podcast is by Benjamin Betherim. You can find him on soundcloud.com slash Betherim. Thank you, Ben, for the tunes. Super appreciate it. Thank you again for listening and... Have a lovely day.